Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. It is I, Jessica, one of your co-hosts. And as always, I am joined by my better pod half, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. And today we're going to talk about a very... I am super excited for this topic. It was one of those things that Tara and I sit down and we brainstorm out ideas. And I saw the name of this place and I was like, we're doing it because it's funny sounding. But then it turned out to be a really good topic because it could have been a flop and that would have been all on me. But we're going to be talking about the Chillingham Castle in England. And I promise I will try my hardest not to go into a really bad British or Scottish accent. (laughs) No promises, but I will try. But anyway, let's get to our business so we can get into what we're going to talk about today. If you want to follow us on socials, we are on all of the major platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And that handle is going to be at Three Spooked Girls. If you want to interact with us on a more day-to-day basis, head over to our Facebook group, which is Three Spooked Girls Official. We are in that thing all the time. People be posting funny things. If you want to check that out, it's Three Spooked Girls Official. You may at this point be like, God, they're beating a dead horse here. But like, (laughs) literally, we're going to talk about our live event that's coming up on September 18th. It's at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it's going to be a fantastic time. Tara and I have been doing a lot of prep in the background having some fun getting all of that together. And if you want to attend this live event, it's a Friday, you can do so by going to the link tree in the show notes below. And it will take you to our Eventbrite page where you can get your tickets. It's $10 for general admission. And basically, that's going to get you the live event. If you want to do the VIP, it is 20. And that comes with some swag and then some FaceTime with me and Tara because we're going to have like a little VIP meet and greet afterwards. Well, virtually because sadly, COVID happened and we couldn't do this in person. But (laughs) yeah, (laughs) we're going to do it virtually. Those are limited. There are only 35 spots for that. Right now, we are recording this in your past. So when you're hearing this, it's my future. So I don't know how many are available at the moment as you're listening to this. But uh, make sure you definitely go check that out. It's going to be really fun. I'm really excited. In real time, I'm starting to make the swag that's going to go out for the VIPs. So it's it's a good time. Yeah, definitely get on it, guys, because we are recording a lot earlier than when this is airing. And even now, we have, we're in the teens now for VIP tickets left. So get on it, guys. Get on it. <laughs> yes, yes. And this week, I have a drink of the week for us. And we're talking about Chillingham Castle. And the reason behind this is going to become apparent when I tell you the history of it in a little bit. Tara is going to handle the haunts this time. Mm-hmm. It's called Earl Grey's Royal Gen Fizz. Mm. And Earl Grey is what's the important part of this. So like I said, it has Earl Grey in it. It's got obviously some gin, some lemon juice. 
It has an egg white in it, which I'm always weirded out and fascinated at the same time <laughs> with egg whites and drinks. But you're fine because there's lemon juice in it. So no one, no one worry. Definitely check it out. It will be up on our socials tomorrow. I don't know if socials is a cool word. I hope it is because otherwise I've just said a word that everyone's like, oh, God, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a quick promo break and then we will be right back for our main episode information stuffs. Yeah. BRB. Diabolical. Vengeance. Betrayal. Bad hair. Leaning. Hi, everyone. This is Kimberly. And this is Katie. And we have a weekly podcast called A Date with Dateline, a recap of Dateline episodes. We talk about important issues like grainy surveillance footage, cell phone towers, Andrea Canning's white jeans, and Mankey's hankies. We delve into the details of any victim who's ever loved life or lit up a room. So find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and iTunes to make A Date with Dateline. And remember, don't watch alone. A Date with Dateline is a podcast hosted by two professional amateur true crime TV experts with no formal training but evidence lockers filled with snark and uninformed opinions. I'm Whitney. And I'm Danny. And that's Josie. And we're the hosts of Creepy Caffeine. We love talking about stories of things that go bump in the night. If it's a tale that gets under your skin, we want to scratch that itch until it comes crawling out to eviscerate your face. I don't know if that was necessary. On each episode, we bring you a variety of stories from true crime, urban legends, and the paranormal, including letting you tag along on some of our ghost investigations. And every once in a while, we share an interview with our creepy kitty, Josie. We're available on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. So grab your caffeinated beverage of choice and join us every week for the podcast meant to get your blood pumping with a few laughs along the way. Well, welcome back from that promo break. We hope you enjoyed it. But we're going to get right into our topic. Like I said, I'm going to handle the history and basic information that you need to know. And Tara's going to hit you with all the haunts. Mm-hmm. So Chillingham Castle is in... I don't under... Okay, I don't understand the way this is written. I went on their website because they have a very nice website I want to point out first and foremost. They do. It's very well crafted. It's beautiful. There's a video on it. It will definitely be in our sources page because they actually had some actual information on there, which I applaud them because a lot of places are like, check out this beautiful place with a beautiful view. And you're like, tell me what happened here. (laughs) Chillingham Castle is in Chillingham in Alnwick, Northumberland, UK. And I don't know what it's like, Northeast 66 5NJ. I don't know what that means. I think that's the zip code. Okay. If, if it is, uh, please let me know. <laughs> so that would make it in the northeast region of England near the Scottish-English border, which plays a huge role in its history being near that particular border. It was originally a monastery in the 12th century. So way back, very long time ago. But since 1246, so think about that. That's so far like Columbus hadn't sailed the ocean blue yet. I know that's going to be controversial because people are going to be like, oh my God, Columbus. But think about it. Like, I remember in school, that's how I would remember things. <laughs> be like the rhymes they would teach us in history. Yeah. So it'd be like, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And now I can't think of any other example to give you guys. So I apologize. We talk shit about him and mermaids. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. He's a trash human. Mm-hmm. But he has a rhyme about And it's not even his name that rhymes. So anyway, moving on. So this is obviously before that. It's 1246. The castle 
was taken over or bought, I'm not quite sure, by the Grey family, which you guessed it, they were the Earls of Grey, which is where the freaking tea comes from, guys. It's the bloody blend of tea from the Earl Greys. And I just want to point out that until like the 1980s, which I'll bring this up again a little later, this castle was owned by the Grey family. And then the royals, because royal people used to stop here because it's it's a thing. But that's a long ass time. Like 1246 is definitely well over like 800 years ago. Actually, I don't know. I can't do math. But like, you know what I'm trying to say. It's near something like that. And then they were very good at being a castle because in 1409, they actually captured another castle, a Norman castle, and they got another title and they became the Earls of Tankerville. This place is very like war minded. Let's put it that way. And this family was actually mentioned a lot in historical Shakespearean plays, The Castle and the Family, and is all up in the Royal Archives. Basically, they're like the Kennedys meet the Kardashians of their time in like popularity. Like, so they're both in pop culture, but also like in political power. They had many commanding generals of the castle, and it was actually recorded that they had 18 knights of the garter. I don't know what that is. I didn't decide to look that up. Of all my side rabbit holes, I didn't go that on that one. But don't you worry. Don't get it twisted because for them being very well revered, they actually got themselves in a lot of trouble. So the royal appointments that they got, like knighthoods and stuff like that, actually can be completely outweighed by the amount of time. There was like eight times where the family tried to commit high treason, but... What would end up happening is that some of the family would stay, like, on the other side. So that way, like, when shit went south, they could be like, no, don't hurt my family. They would just get, like, a pardon. And so they would still have what they would say a friend at court. In 1344, they got a license to, and I'm going to say this name wrong, crenellate. And it was issued by King Edward III. And basically what this license was to do was to fortify one's property, and it must be granted by a king or a noble person of that area. And it was to allow the battlements to be built. So basically the way the castle became now is how it was built. It effectively upgraded it into a stronghold, a quadrangular form, which basically meant it had like curtain walls on the outside. So like the straight up and down walls. And it had like an enclosed central courtyard. They typically didn't have keeps. So if like you think back to like princess castles where they had the big keep where the princess would like Rapunzel was like letting down her hair from, it didn't have that. And most of the time it didn't have like a distinctive gatehouse, which let's talk about how like effective that sounds. If you were a castle that was being attacked a lot, you wouldn't necessarily want to be like, this is where my fucking gate is. You know, where some have these big, beautiful gatehouses. Yeah. It wasn't like that. The walls were actually like 12 feet thick. So the girls thick for shirzies. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I really started thinking about like how long it would take someone to go through 12 feet of stone in that time where they didn't have like power tools or a wrecking ball. Crazy. Yeah. You just weren't getting in. And at one point in time, it had a moat. So it makes it even harder. Mm-hmm. In medieval times, because this was around then, there was a lot of fighting. Chillingham was basically positioned very strategically in Northumberland had like, it was called the Northumberland's Bloody Border Feuds. And basically because it's nestled between Scotland and England, when they were at war, 
This was kind of the place where the English armies would kind of fortify and it was a strategic staging post for them, essentially. And a little later, we'll talk about someone. But this is like, think Braveheart and Mary, Queen of Scots time frame, that kind of era. But fun fact, the castle, even though it was attacked a lot, mostly by Scotland, but sometimes by the Danish people because they were like, oh, wait, Scottish people can do it. Maybe we should try and be successful. But no one ever was successful. It was never overthrown. So it was very well fortified. Let's flash forward a little bit to the 18th, 19th centuries is when the grounds went, basically had a makeover. And it was by this guy named Sir Jeffrey Wyattville, and he basically established a dynasty of architects. Mm-hmm. I don't know that sounded fancy. <laughs> Does. Sir Wyattfield was actually, he made alterations and extensions to the Chatworth House and to Windsor Castle. So, like, he was pretty famous. So you're probably like, what is what is this castle made up of? Like, what are the rooms in this castle? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what you're thinking, but this is where I'm going next. So strap in. Yes, I am thinking that, Jessica. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, because it's like a war machine, it has an armory, which used to hold and store their weapons, which it's very well named. Today, it holds a lot of different things. Some of like the antique armory, like Guns, armor, poison blowpipes, which I was like, that's my favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) It also has a collection of, and I took this straight from the source I got it from. Um, I believe it's their website. It says, a collection of extraordinary and rare insects. And I'm like, "Mm, that's what I want to see when I go to a castle. I mean, when I went to Austria, like we went to a lot of castles and most of the time you like walk around and they're like, in this room, like I went to the, the castle that Marie Antoinette was born in and it was like, and this was Marie Antoinette's room. She really liked pink. I don't know why I said it like that, because they were definitely Austrian, and they definitely sounded more German than that. <laughs> Styrian. I, I apologize. Styrian than that. And they have these portable cannons that were like a big deal at the time there. And so that's all in that room. There's a still room, which in the still room, there's a picture uh, or a painting of a haunting witch. And she curses you if you steal from Chillingham Castle, which most people think was a joke. So they would steal, but then they would like mail the shit back and be like, I'm really sorry I stole this because apparently she haunts your ass. Good. It also has a giant cooking pot that they used to feed the people like back in the day. It has a dungeon for sure because it's a fucking castle. Mm -hmm. The dungeon is extremely small and it's actually right near a guest room. So I watched this video online of this girl and she actually went and stayed because you can do like ghost tours overnight. I don't know if you can do to the extent that she did it, but you know, like she may have gotten special permission. Mm -hmm. So... Her room was actually right next to it, the dungeon. And she went in and it's extremely small. So I'm like, how the hell they kept all these people that they supposedly kept in this castle? And like, they didn't keep them in the dungeon because like, okay, I will say that there's a lot of areas in the castle that you can't get to now. There's like caved in parts or it's not, they've just closed off type thing. But this place is very tiny. I was like, there's bigger airplane bathrooms. Just kidding. It's bigger than that. But (laughs) so you go into like a tiny little walkway and then there's like a very narrow door, which is very thick and very heavy. It's a small room. And in there, there's a trap door and they have like a great metal bar so that you yourself can't fall down because, you know, liability sake. And if you look down, you can actually see human remains and they're not fake for like show purposes. Like in some places, those are actually just human remains that they haven't removed. And then on the wall of this little room is like carvings and they call it the diaries of the prisoners. And like I said, there's more dungeon than they can, but it's caved in. 
Some other notable places, they have a medieval courtyard, a great hall, a roof garden lookout, Edward I room, King James I room, the plaque room library, which is just the library, but now it's full of plaques, the new dining hall, which I believe you can eat at, and you can actually get married at this castle, just in case you were like, hey, I want to get married in almost Scotland, but in England. (laughs) And a haunted castle. Yeah. It has a museum, a chapel, a minstrel's hall, and of course, the one that we've all been waiting for, it has a torture chamber. Yes. In the torture chamber, the warriors, spies, and soldiers from and various criminals who were tortured there. Victims were first put into the torture chamber and it was like a, it was really dark, so they like basically blew out all the candles. And then then they would start torturing them, like putting them on the rack in the Iron Maiden on the chair with spiky things. Like, I think, like, when I was hearing them talk about it, I was thinking of, like, in Sleepy Hollow when Ichabod Crane has flashbacks about his mother. Like, it was, like, everything in that. I was like, oh, they had that. Mm-hmm. And you're probably like, well, who worked there? It's not like in Robin Hood Men in Tights where the, the torturer is really nice. It's a guy by the name of John Sage. Or allegedly, because some people think he was, like, a fictitious person, but, like, we don't know, and I'm going to assume that he's real. So, John Sage, if he was a real person, which I believe he was, he was a soldier in Edward I's army. Now, King Edward of England was fighting the Scottish folk, and think Braveheart time. And basically, John got injured in battle, and he developed a limp and could not be a soldier anymore because back then it was a lot of like hand-to-hand combat type things. So he wouldn't have done well. They actually gave him a really fucked up nickname, which they started calling him John Dragfoot. He didn't want to end his blood spilling days. So he basically, because he was such a proficient fighter and had made a name for himself, he went to King Edward and was like, I need a new job. And good old Eddie was like, you know, there's this castle in the middle of like where we go. It needs a head torturer. Would you be interested in this position? And John was like, fuck to the yes. So because if you didn't know Braveheart, I think it's real, but I don't know like how much of like the actual like storyline parts is real. And it's been a really long time since I've seen Braveheart 2005-ish. Basically, William Wallace was leading the charge in Scotland against King Edward. King Edward went north. And when he went north, the Scottish people around there were like, fuck yeah, we're going to attack his main torture chamber in Chillingham. But it backfired on them and they captured everyone. And basically, it got bad. Let's put it that way. When they captured them, they brought them to Chillingham to be investigated or interrogated. Now, according to some stories, basically they would bring him in like 50 people increments to him and he would torture about, not to, um, I'm sorry, the politically correct word is he was interrogating about 50 people a week for several years. So let that sink in. That's like 200 people a month if it's a four week month, you know, and for that random five week month, it's 150. Holy shit. Yeah, it's a lot of people. And he loved his job so much that he started inventing new ways to torture people. So a lot of the tortures that we like know today, John actually, quote unquote, maybe invented. Great. And he had plenty of prisoners to test these out on. So he liked to use the Iron Maiden. And I actually learned something in this. I always thought that people would get like poked with the Iron Maiden and then they would die in there. But that's not how they would die with the Iron Maiden. And if you're all like, yeah, Jessica, we know this. Like, please don't at me because I didn't know this. But you didn't die in the Iron Maiden. They basically poked you in it and it went in and then you were like interrogated while it was in you. 
And then once you answered all the questions, you would think like, oh, good, I can leave. And then they would open it and then the spikes would come out of you and then you would die from blood loss. I knew that part because I watched Where the Red Friend Grows as a child. And that's when that, that they took the axe out. The kid died. Mm-hmm. So there were like all these tortures and John was really excited about it. Well, at one point in time, they had too many Scots to torture. So what did they do? They were like, the war was over. They had captured William Wallace. It had been like seven fucking years. And they were like, well, we don't need the prisoners anymore. And John was just like, well, we can't just let them go. We've had them all this time. So I'm going to say this right now. This is trigger warning. This is not a good story. Just letting you all know. Basically, what happened is he divided them up into adults and children, and then he burned the adults alive. And then I was like, oh, good. He spared the children. No, he took them into a different room and hacked them up. So needless to say that John Sage did not get into heaven. He is very much in some several layers of hell somewhere, hopefully being tortured by people because not a good person. But moving forward, let's talk about a different war, one that most of us can know about. It's World War II because we're going to jump that far into the future because things happen between there and now and, you know, But World War II is basically the next big thing that happens to this castle, which is during that time it was used as army barracks. And like most times when they have to convert things into quick housing for these type of things, some things got destroyed, like a lot of the decorative wood. It was removed and burned to keep them warm. And then they also removed lead from the ceiling. And I feel like that was more for like their safety And then they didn't, like, properly weather seal it, so a lot of the castle got damaged. Mm. From the end of World War II until 1982, it kind of just kept falling into more disarray. But in 1982, the Gray family decided to sell the castle. And this is the first time since, like we talked about, 1246, it hadn't belonged to a Gray. But don't you fret, my pets. It didn't go too far because the wife of the owner is actually a descendant of the Gray family. Oh. I know. Her name is Catherine. Oh, okay. And it was purchased by Sir Humphrey Wakefield. And basically, he set out to restore it to its medieval times and grandeur, and it was said to be a very painstaking endeavor. And today, it still remains pretty much the same. There's been some things added during, like, when the Tudors were part of the running the kingdom. Because, you know, things happened. And like I said, as of 2020 or earlier this year, it was open. And you could stay there. And it has actually been in a film. So if you've seen this movie, you might be like, oh, I've seen this castle, which is a great movie. It's the movie Elizabeth. It's a fucking amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. There's actually two of them. But the first one is amazing. And over time, some famous people have gone through this castle. The first one would be Henry III in 1255. And then, like we've mentioned, King Edward was there, and his name was the Proud Edward, Hammer of the Scots. And he was there in 1298 on his way to the Battle of Falkirk, where he captured William Wallace, Braveheart. So we, if you don't know the story, look at it. But this is definitely one of the castles in Braveheart. And when he was going to there, they thought they would do something fancy for him. So they installed a special glazed window, which was very rare and very fancy because he was a king. I mean, I think people do that. Like if Queen Elizabeth was coming to my house, I would definitely clean, but I'd probably also do something like to fancy in it up. Yeah. Also, Anne of Denmark went through on June 6th of 1603 with her children 
King James I, which he's the first of England and the fifth of Scotland, and he's the same person. It might get confusing, but they're the same person. He kind of helped unite Scotland and England to become peaceful under his crown. I'm pretty sure it would go bad later. (laughs) But during the time because of this, they actually converted a lot of the stuff away from like military strategy. They filled in the moat. They added a library. They added more residential wings. So it became a little bit more of a friendlier place after King James went. And then kind of the last big like hoorah is Queen Victoria's eldest son, Prince Edward VI, and his wife, Princess of Wales, Alexandria, stayed there en route to Scotland in 1872. So it's had some famous people through it. I mean, not really in the most recent of times. To say that its halls are haunted would be very much an understatement, which leads me to hand this off to Tara to actually talk about how the halls are haunted. Literally all the ghosts. There's so many. This place is so haunted. (laughs) For this episode, I basically made up a list of kind of like the most noteworthy ones and occurrences and ones I found interesting. So I'm going to start with the White Pantry Ghost. So the story with this one goes that one night when a footman who, asterisk, was described as a, quote, male servant, basically they were right below a butler slash can assist a butler if they're a head footman. So that's what that means, because I had no clue, so I had to go look. (laughs) I always just think of, like, Cinderella, like the dog turned into the footman. Mm, That's true. He just helped her in and out of the carriage. Yeah. Some stories say that he was about to go to sleep, while others' accounts of this said he was on guard of, like, some silver or something. Either way, it was said that he saw a lady in white appear. She's described as, quote, a frail figure or very pale and sickly looking. He says that she was begging him for water, which... He didn't think she was a ghost at the time. He thought it was just someone staying there. So he turned around to grab her some water. And then he suddenly remembered that he was locked in and no visitors could have possibly got in. So when he turned back around to be like, how the fuck did you get in here? She was gone. That's scary. Yes. Now, people who have investigated this entity says that the mix of her appearance plus the want for water could suggest she was someone who was poisoned. And that would have been how she died. Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, this next ghost has a bit of mystery to it. It's called the Ghost in the Chamber. And with this entity, it's never been reported as being seen, but most definitely reports of being felt. And what I mean by that is like it's more of an energy or something like that or something that has an influence on the environment in the chamber type of thing. Mm. It said that, quote, there's the sense of something unseen yet distinctly moving. It can be a chill, dark, creeping sensation, or maybe just an oppressive atmosphere. So that's kind of scary. Right? And we're going to talk about the chapel for a minute here. There's kind of a collective of spirits in this area known as the voices in the chapel. There's voices of two men that can be heard talking, but you can't make out what they're saying. And these entities are aware of their surroundings for sure, because once you or whoever's there, once you try to figure out what they're saying or quiet down so you can like try to listen in, they just stop. Like their conversation they're having just completely stops. I'm sorry. I just like 
this reminded me of a conversation that Tara and I had earlier this week where it's like when people whisper just loud enough that you can hear the noise but not make it out. <laughs> and you're like, either quiet your whisper or talk louder so I can understand you. Jeez, ghosts, get it together. Literally, that's exactly what it is. Uh, <laughs> so... It's also noted that they actually found two skeletons in here in an underground vault. So the thought is these skeletons are them. That's a common theme in this place. They're just like doing something and they're like, oh, there's a skeleton here. And they're not weirded out by it anymore. Mm-mm. And they also found another skeleton that was said to be unrelated to the other two guys. And this was the skeleton of a girl. The history on her life is not really known, but they assume she had been hiding in the chapel. Her ghost is very active, especially with female visitors in particular. She is said to play with their hair and she will communicate with them, that type of thing. And along with that, it's noted that the area where they found her remains definitely has a shift in the atmosphere and is just like a sense of sadness all in that area. Which, I mean, if that's where she passed, that would make sense. Right. Now, there's another group of ghosts. We're going to move over to the ghosts in the courtyard. And they're obviously in the courtyard, if you didn't figure that out. This was an area of mass execution, so there's definitely a lot of, like, trauma, bad vibes, and death. Hello. And people have reported hearing disembodied cries and also seen apparitions in the form of dark shapes and shadowy-type figures. Now, this one is noted as the most famous ghost at the castle. This is the blue boy, or he's sometimes referred to as the radiant boy. He's said to be in one of the castle's bedrooms called the pink room. The story goes that the apparition of a young boy illuminated by blue light would appear from a wall inside of this room. It's reported that blue orbs of light and the cries of a child would also be heard escaping through the same area in that room's wall. Then... Here we go with our same theme. Sometime in the 20th century, they found his skeleton or his skeletal remains there. And they also found pieces of blue clothing. And this was all hidden behind that wall where all of this stuff was happening. I'm just like, at what point do you not go, what the fuck is in this wall? Right. That castle must have stunk because it's a human body in a wall. Yeah. And to add even more, kind of like make the story even sadder, is a lot of people believe he was put in there alive because his, like his finger bones and his nails, they were all worn down and broken from what they assume was him trying to escape and like claw out. So sad. It is. It, I, when I heard that, I got sad. Like there, there's yeah. so many fucked up things with this castle. Mm-hmm, for sure. And this next entity, her name is Lady Mary Berkeley. She was said to live in the castle with great sadness. And the reason for this great sadness was her husband, who was Lord Grey of Wark and Chillingham, was a douchebag and left her for her sister. So her sister was a douchebag too. Right. Her apparition is seen from her old living quarters there looking out of her windows on the upper floor. Now, the last three little things I'm going to mention here on our haunting highlights is areas instead of actual ghosts. So the first is a room Jessica mentioned. It was the King Edward I bedroom. This room sounds very scary. It's said to have a dark and sinister presence here that will attack people who enter this room. 
And another area that's really haunted is called on their website, quote, the hanging trees. And it's exactly what we've already kind of talked about. It's where the adults died. And I read instead of getting hung the normal way, they got hung from their feet. I think that definitely happened. Like we mentioned, John Sage experimented with shit. Yeah. But the hanging trees, like, those are particularly fucked up because, like, he would hang them. And then when he was done, like, most people would cut them down and, like, get rid of the bodies. They would just leave them and let them, like, fall themselves. Yeah. And in that area, there's tons of reports of, like, light orbs and other kind of interesting things like that uh, involving lights and I can't say anomalies, right? Oh, I just did. Okay, there, that. (laughs) (laughs) And disembodied voices and also footsteps when nobody's walking around. Now, the last area is the Devil's Walk. It's similar to the Hanging Tree area, and it has the same kind of phenomenon happening as well. Like Jessica mentioned, they were doing tours prior. Um, I'm on their website right now. And of course, because of COVID and stuff, they're not doing it when it is normal times. It looks like it's about 25 pounds per person. And you must be 16 or older to go on the ghost tours. Yeah. Yeah. And they say that they're about two hours long, depending on, (laughs) it literally says, depending on paranormal activity. So could be longer, could be, you know, not and you can do group dining packages and stuff like that. And I think that'd be really cool. Basically, you have to do a big group, though. It says like groups of 10 or more for that. Okay. And they also have ghost hunts available, or not currently, but like when things are normal. They have the option to do ghost hunts specifically as well. And those are 50 pounds per person. You do have to be 18 or older. And they have on here noted strictly no alcohol. So that's prohibited, which would make sense. I mean, because like one of the things I know you can do on that is like do the devil's walk, which is basically the driveway. And it's a fucking long ass way. And if you were drunk, you could get hurt. Yeah. And, you know, you can book a room. They also have a tea room. They have some advertising for fishing. So, like, if anyone that's listening is near this, when this is normal times, like, you could just go do a day trip if you don't even want to do the scary, spooky stuff. If you're like, no, no, I'm okay. You can go, like, <laughs> check everything else out, at least, if you would like. But, yeah, so it's really cool. They have a lot of stuff. You can definitely check it out. So... It's a little spooky place, but those were kind of like my highlight reel of ghosts and kind of what happened. There's, like Jessica mentioned, there's plenty of YouTube videos you can watch of people doing their own investigations and stuff. Definitely recommend. They're really interesting. But yeah, that's really all I have for the ghosties. I forgot to mention one thing about the Devil's Walk. One of the things is, is like I mentioned that they would just like leave them hanging. Yeah. Well, they never cleaned up. So over the years... You know, new dirt has come in and, like, covered. But when it gets really cold and frost there, bone is lighter than, like, stone and dirt. So it they will actually come up. Oh, God. To this day, they're still finding remains along there. That's horrific. Oof. Like, this place, literally, anthropologists would probably love to get in there and, like, go through. I mean, this was the place of mass genocide. Like, that's the only way to put it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is a beautiful castle and everything, but it does have a very dark and fucked up history. Yeah, for sure. Well, that wraps it up for us this week. We hope you 
enjoyed and maybe learned little things about history because we talked some history this time. Mm -hmm. And we will catch you on Thursday for another Stabby. And bye, guys. Bye. Bye.